hello, and welcome to another episode of Just Curious Relationships. As always, I'm your host, Megan Holmgren, and today we are going to be jumping right in with licensed marriage and family therapist, Margaret Doherty, as well as Lauren Salvatore, senior psychologist and director of Northwell Health's Eating Disorder Center. Welcome, ladies, and thank you for coming to chat today. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Um, So, Margaret, as I say, in almost every episode now, you're used to the the song and dance here, but uh, Lauren, just for reference, I go through Reddit and scour the corners of of Reddit and the internet um, to find anonymous questions and posts and prompts, and then bring you ladies, you lovely experts, in to respond to them, and then get into a conversation about uh, the post itself and the kind of overarching topic. So I call it a trick. <laughs> they usually contain twists and surprises, so... Uh, With that, you can turn over your papers, and let's get in. Husband, 35 male, binges on dinner ingredients, blowing our budget. My husband, 35 male, and I, 34 female, are on a rather tight budget at the moment. We've allocated and agreed on a budget of $100 a week for groceries. This does not include meat. We buy chicken and beef for the freezer once a year. This should be adequate in our area, even with recent inflation. We have friends who spend even less. I work from home and am able to cook from scratch most nights, which also helps. My husband is overweight and has admitted that he struggles with overeating. He says he wants to lose weight, and he has lost five pounds over the last two months. It's not much, but it's a start. Here's the problem. Several times a week, my husband still seems to lose control of his appetite and overeat or binge on foods that were allocated for the week's meals. I'll have cooked four chicken breasts that I'll have plans to use for several meals, for example, and I'll find that they are gone. Or I'll go to make tacos and find that the block of cheese I was going to use is gone. So I end up going to the store to replace those items, which blows our budget. When I bring this up to my husband, he says, quote, well, maybe we just need to increase the budget then. But when I do buy a little extra, spend more, stock up more, he just eats more, of the ingredients, and I still have to replace them. I don't want to enable him by bringing home more and more food and spending more and more money that we frankly don't have. I think he may have a deeper issue with binge eating and may benefit from seeing a therapist, but he has gotten very defensive when I've tried to kindly suggest this. I've tried the, quote, when it's gone, it's gone approach and not buying more until it's time to shop again, thinking not having it around will remove his temptation, but then I end up suffering and doing without, which doesn't seem fair either. A friend suggested I hide my own snacks from him, but this just sounds sneaky and dishonest, and it's the refrigerated prepared foods he seems to gravitate to anyways. What else can I do? Should I ask him to do the shopping, put signs on the food that say off-limits, give him an ultimatum re-therapy, help? TLDR, husband binges on our dinner ingredients, causing us to go over budget. He isn't open to therapy. And then she adds an update. I think there are really two problems I am looking for a solution to here. One would be to helping my husband get the help he needs to work through whatever psychological issues are underlying his eating habits. The other would be managing the day-to-day cooking and budget until he is able to get help and change his habits. I would love for him to start therapy, but we, I, still have to be able to eat in the meantime. I'm having a large reaction. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm going to let both of you react. So the first word that comes up in my mind is shame, right? There's shame for him of what he's eating, how he's eating, 
you have to look at maybe childhood. Did they grow up without? Is there a scarcity mindset? Mm -hmm. Things like that. Also, therapy might be great, but if the person doesn't want to go to therapy, they don't want to go. I also heard a lot of like parent-child interaction here of like having to hide things um, or... You know, telling him what he should do. When it's gone, it's gone. I mean, my parent definitely said that. Maybe not about food, but, like, anything, right? Like, Mm -hmm. when it's gone, it's gone. I can't replace it. So there's some dynamics going here where she's parenting him. Yeah. Um, There's just a lot here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It was – it's really interesting. I think there are some great treatments for binge disorder, um, but it does – it without having a context and hearing more about what's actually going on and maybe underlying these emotions, it's hard to kind of understand that. Um, But it does seem like she's in a really tough position because it's causing them financial strain as well. Right. And I find that binge is a very um, buzzword nowadays. I don't know if you find that in the center, right? That like a lot of, sometimes people say, oh, I overate one night. They're like, I binged. Is he binging? Like what's really going on? Like she's also kind of Mm -hmm. assuming things that are going on, right? It doesn't sound like there's anybody else in the home that like would eat the cheese or whatever. Yeah. But like what's really going on? There's just like this assumption that like he's doing something bad and he needs to stop. She also doesn't mention medical. Like, I wonder if that would be a great segue in. It sounds like, you know, sometimes people do either binge because there's an underlying medical condition and they're Mm -hmm. trying to make up for nutritional factors that they don't have. Um, So I wonder if that would be a good first step is seeking out a medical professional to help with that. Yeah, maybe getting talking to a primary care doctor and expressing some of those concerns and just discussing the behavior and habits that she's noticed or he's kind of partaking in yeah. and seeing if there's a more medical root cause to it, maybe than a, a psychological. It um, also sounds like she doesn't struggle, based on this, that she doesn't have a struggle with her relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even here, he lost five pounds over the last two months. It's not much, but it's a start. Mm-hmm. It's like no matter what he does, it's not even good yeah. enough there. You're picking up on something that I, from reading it, you know, the first pass and, and kind of with sitting with it, that I wanted to bring up it, this to me, uh, the more I read it and the more it marinates sounds like a whole lot of judgment mm-hmm. disguised as concern. Yes. I would agree with that. Okay. I'm getting good. I I'm getting good at this <laughs> talking to you so much. Um, to sort of hold the other side though. And, and to think about the wife's perspective, it, it sounds like anxiety as well. There is mm-hmm. judgment, but it sounds like anxiety about their financials. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because if she's trying to set a budget and things are maybe a little tight and this is truly what they can afford, then what other areas is that now pulling from? Because it's got to come from somewhere. Right. Both their needs aren't being heard, right? Like her need is I need to be financially stable. Yeah. Right. And we're doing this together and setting a budget from the way it sounds like we agreed on this. Right. It's not even just that she's doing it and he had no say. Yeah. So her need of this is the budget. Stick to it, whether it's about food or maybe something else that they budgeted. Mm-hmm. Right. And his need is, I guess, to be understood. Right. So I think you're right. There's those two sides that she's dealing with a lot of anxiety of do we have enough money for the month to pay our bills and do everything we need to do? Yeah. Yeah. Um, picking up on something that you said, Margaret, um, I think terms like binging have become buzzwords, both in the food space and outside of it. And it's just something that's become very colloquial these days. 
is this an eating disorder? Does it sound like, or does it, you know, have the things that are maybe our, our classic hallmarks? Because I feel like in doing research, the ones that certainly get the most, um, you know, attention are the anorexia and bulimias. And this didn't seem to me like it fit into those molds. So are there other types of eating disorders? And does this kind of seem like it falls into one of those categories? Yeah, so I think, and over at the center, we work primarily with anorexia mm -hmm. um, and binge purge. So we actually don't have too many kids who just only binge or, or adults that only binge. Um, it can certainly be considered an eating disorder, but it wouldn't fall without further assessment. It wouldn't fall under like the anorexia or mm -hmm. the um, or the binge purge or, or uh, any of those bulimia, those categories. But it can certainly be a disorder in its own right. And it often has um, underlying things that we don't think about that are causing it. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the treatments that's really well available for it is dialectical behavior therapy and it's how to regulate sort of your underlying emotions mm -hmm. um, because that's often can be what's triggering for binges. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess another question actually in, in preparing for this is, um, and to your point, the center, you primarily see, you know, people who's patients who skew on the younger side, so adolescents and, and whatnot. Is an adult male in his mid thirties, someone who, falls under, you know, known umbrellas for people who suffer from eating disorders because it seems like it would be outside the norm. So actually that's a problem. A lot of people go undiagnosed with eating disorders because they don't fit um, like a, our stereotypical category. So mm -hmm. that happens a lot of times with people who don't fit the gender or the racial profile of what we think. Mm -hmm. um, and there's also something called the typical anorexia in which someone can actually be overweight and still struggle with an eating disorder. So we often have these like things in our mind of like Kate Moss and that's the that's the prototypical person mm -hmm. who struggles with that. Um, but if we look outside of that, we, we have to be really careful and make sure that we are, you know, broadening our thoughts about who can be diagnosed and can certainly be anyone. Eating disorders don't discriminate against right, absolutely. Yeah. Race, age or gender. Uh, gender. Um one of my questions was, is it eating disorders in men, would it be a new phenomenon or something that's just gone underreported? So it seems like maybe it's the latter, that it just is something that's not reported enough, or is that something that... It, certainly the prevalence is considered to be lower, so we, we think that it happens with less frequency, but it, again, it's it's that idea of sometimes men do, because of the stigma mm -hmm. and the societal expectations, don't uh, report and reach out for mental health as frequently as their uh, female counterparts. Okay. Um, so to the sort of relationship end of it, mm -hmm. um, obviously it's more than just the issue of whether or not there is truly a, an eating disorder. And we will we can dive back into that in a, in a minute. But um, it seems like there's also maybe a lack of, a lack of effective communication, mm -hmm. um, maybe a, a little bit of an erosion of trust or frustration, tensions. Um if she were to come to you or this couple were to come to you, which maybe that wouldn't happen because it seems it like he's not. doesn't seem like he wants to go. Um, but if so, if she came to you, what would you say to her? How can you help her navigate this? If we're not looking at the budget piece and we're just looking about how she feels about her husband's eating habits, it's the why. Why does his eating habits 
like bother you, right? Like, mm-hmm. what is it about it that's triggering to you? Why do you feel like you have to parent him, right? Yeah. He's a 35-year-old male. He's a big boy. He can figure it out on his own. Yeah. And if you tell him what he needs to do, it's very much like a child. Like, they yeah. might just rebel against you. I mean, the idea of putting signs on the phone that say off-limits would probably really shame him that he is doing something wrong around food. Yeah. Um, I don't think giving an ultimatum regarding therapy is also a good idea, right? Yeah. Because I also have couples that come in or even individuals and they come for, you know, two, three sessions and then it's, you can tell they don't want to be there or one of them don't want to be there and it's, why are you here? Well, I'm here for my partner. If you're not actively doing the work, showing up is part of it, but it's being in the room, participating, and I understand that takes time, like mm-hmm. build trust and rapport, but once somebody doesn't want to do it, it's not going to be effective and it's not going to change anything. Right. He can go to a therapist every week. You can spend out-of-pocket money to pay. And if he doesn't get anything out of it because he doesn't want to, he's not going to. Yeah. That's fair. I think softening her approach a little bit. You read my mind. This is scary. I was going to, you know, I was going to say I picked one of the things I picked up on in, in her post is, um, hold on, let me find it. So I use her words. Uh I think he may have a deeper issue with binge eating and may benefit from seeing a therapist, but he has gotten very defensive when I've tried to kindly suggest this. To me, it almost sounds like maybe the suggestion wasn't so kind. I had that thought when you read it the first time. Maybe it was more like, you need to go do this, or you should, which reads not as coming from a place of compassion or caring or genuine concern, but more like almost... And I'm not trying to put words in in the poster's mouth, but, like, you're broken and this needs fixing, which I think I would be defensive about if it were me. She may have said it nicely. Mm -hmm. The words might have been nice, but a big thing I see with couples is tone. Mm -hmm. And I know when I was growing up, my mother always said, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And I'd be like, oh, right, I don't know what you mean. And now as an adult, I'm like, oh, no, I know exactly what that means. So she may have been coming from a place where she thought she was doing it kindly But look at his reaction, right? And then saying, like, why are you reacting that way? Why are you getting defensive? Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a problem with your weight? If he says no, then there's really nothing you could do. He could go to a doctor, and a doctor could say, like, your cholesterol is high. You know, you're pre-diabetic, and you need to change. And if he doesn't want to, he still won't. Yeah. That's fair. And maybe I'm kind of wondering, and, and the more I think about it, like, Yes, maybe it is uh, an issue in that they've discussed we have a budget, and when you eat these things, it throws our budget completely out, and that has its own ripple effect. But maybe he doesn't see his behavior as being problematic in terms of his relationship to food. So to your point, Margaret, things like putting a sign on food or hiding things from him or, um, you know, whatever it is, some of the, the other things she's talked about, that would create a kind of shame dynamic. And is that something, Lauren, that you think can actually be a trigger? Um, Because maybe he doesn't have, maybe he personally does not see his eating habits as being problematic and he's fine in his relationship with food. And maybe, maybe it's just the kind of the small situations that just create this bigger picture in her mind. But to him, it's like, well, I was just hungry one night. So I had a chicken that was cooked in the the fridge. Like, you know, Um, but could the shame that's coming from somebody who's so close to him in his life, could that 
create a problem where there might not be one now or exasperate one that does exist. Sure. We, we definitely see shame underlying a lot of eating disorders. There's a lot of shame and guilt. And often that um, is in response to the family, not like really quite knowing how to respond to the eating disorder, or responding to it ineffectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could certainly, I don't, you know, typically if somebody has a vulnerability to it and then you add some sort of like shame or emotion, then that might be more likely to result in an eating disorder. So he might have to have some sort of like uh, predisposition towards it. Mm-hmm. Um you know, in order to, for that to, to come out. Yeah. Uh, to just to follow up on, on something you said, because it, it brings up a question that I've, I've kind of been thinking about, but it seems like a lot of maybe the friction here is her not knowing how to respond to this or respond in a way that gets communication going between the two of them um, in a way that's going to be productive. So... To your, your point of saying a lot of a lot of problems stem from family members, friends not knowing how to react to this. In this situation, I know it we're quite kind of limited by only what she's mm-hmm. written here, but in this situation, um, how would you counsel her then if it's something that is genuinely coming from a place of concern, like she thinks this is an issue for him, how can she approach it? Like how can she be respectful of him and it and and maybe be supportive in a way that's going to actually show she cares and, and try to help him get to a, a place of better health mentally and physically. Sure. So it, it sounds to me like there is some, it, it sounds like there's a lot of things that are going on for her. So if she really does feel like there needs to be a therapist involvement, she she could also seek out therapy on her own and mm-hmm. figure out how to, how to address this. Um, it sounds like there's a lot of like uncertainty coming up for her. She's not sure if there is going to be food. She's not sure about the financial situation. So she might benefit from some support just around those things. Um, mm-hmm. And the reality, you know, if if there is actually a reality around concerns about finances and just tolerating just the uncertainty of like not knowing if the food's going to be there, or, you know, or purchasing more, or doing something like that. Um and then in terms of how to approach it, yeah, we always try and, and coach parents and families to have a non-judgmental approach to so sort of taking that out. And it, and it is hard when you have a high emotional reaction to something. Mm-hmm. Um, so oftentimes we'll coach them in the room um, to start, like, how would you say this? And then have them say it and then we'll say, all right, let's, like, judge this a little bit and change it a little bit and take out some of those judgments. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of that blame and the guilt and talk about how we can um, effectively communicate it. Um, We often talk about saying things more gently and also how do you reinforce it? So sort of explaining to him her side, but also how can we how can we make it um, palatable for him? Like, you know, her saying that if you're not going to eat, if I know and I'm more aware of what's happening and, and the food in the kitchen, it's going to make my anxiety less, which will be beneficial for all of us. So mm-hmm. I wonder if a good tool there might be the classic I feel statements. Or yeah, if that... if keeping it to her when she's talking to him about it and then also like validating his experience as well. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. I hear this is what's going on for you. This is my feeling about it. And because of this, right, that deeper meaning of why you're feeling it. And I think the idea of like her going to individual therapy is a good idea because it doesn't sound like the friend had like a very good suggestion of like, 
hiding her snacks. Yeah. Right? Like, so sometimes, we, you know, we go to our friends and we're like, oh, they're going to have the answer. And sometimes they don't. Yeah. And going to somebody that's neutral, too, because I'm sure maybe the friend knows the husband, like Mm -hmm. all these other aspects. And just having that person sit with her and maybe even call out her tone and things like that. Yeah. I'll say to clients all the time, did you just hear how you said that or how you just spoke to your partner? And they're like, no. And I was like... I think that's what the partner's talking about because the way I'm hearing it, it sounds defensive or rude or something like that. We don't always know how we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, because I think in our heads, we might mean it one way, but the delivery does not always convey how we intend our sentiments to come across. Um, So I think, you know, kind of honing in a little bit, we've we've talked about on the kind of potential for um, eating disorders, but... Budgeting and finances can also be a really tricky, sticky conversation to have in in any relationship at any stage, you know, whether you're just starting out with shared finances and want to create a budget for something or you've been married and um, run into issues. So, like, are there special considerations or tools that couples can use? Because if that's that's the primary driver in her anxiety is that our, our budget's getting blown out, which, I mean from everything she's saying, seems like it, it might be because it's in the subject line. It's mentioned, you know, a couple of times throughout. So are there tools that couples can use to set a budget and have that conversation on how to, maybe not the like actual, you know, mathematic formula of, of how to set that budget for yourself, but how to convey what's important, what you want to prioritize for that budget, and then how to stick to it. I think one good thing would be grocery shopping together. It sounds like she does the bulk of it. Mm -hmm. He may not know, like, what you can get for $100, right? Especially now in the food store. $100 doesn't always get you much. Yeah. So kind of doing that experience together. Mm -hmm. And I find a lot of couples talk about the logistics of money and not the emotion behind money. Yeah. One of the the things I've been doing with my couples, because finances are, like, one of the number one stressors in a couple that I see, Um is I send them an emotion wheel and then I've come up with like 20 questions of like, what emotion do you feel when blank about money? And I have them do it separate. And then we come back together and we talk about it. And when it's just name the emotion, yeah, by looking at this wheel and picking out the one that feels like it works, they have these conversations and they're like, well, I didn't know you thought about it like that. And I didn't know you felt about it like that. Or I didn't know that this was a really stressful thing for you yeah. about how I spend money. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe having, using a tool like that. Yeah, like talking more about the emotion behind it. Because I think the two of them probably have their thoughts laid out there. Yeah. But what are you feeling? Yeah. And then why? Because I think something, and and again, it's not something that is explicitly stated here, but it, it, I'm drawing on a hypothetical, could be a motivator here. If he's coming from a place where maybe he grew up in food scarcity was an issue, and that's why it's like, well, now I have, and so when I'm hungry, I can eat. And that it's as simple as that, maybe. Um, not saying that it is, but from her side, maybe she grew up in a home a household where money was really tight. And so, you know, it, you had to be smart with your dollar or you didn't, you know, you couldn't eat or you had to go without. So I think having, maybe doing some soul searching on her end, just like him, you know, asking or getting to a point where they can talk about what are the motivations behind why you're kind of, I'm going to call it grazing for for (laughs) lack of trying to use not a binge word. Nope. There I did it. Um, But, you know, maybe she needs to do a soul searching of like, why is this such a 
a like torch point for me? Why is this something that is like causing such a reaction and um, and now causing pain in our relationship? It also sounds like she kind of controls the budget overall. Maybe she's the one doing the finances mm-hmm. mostly sitting down monthly and looking at it together, looking at what you've put out, what you haven't put out, what you've saved. Like, I think if couples make it more of a common conversation, mm-hmm. there isn't this like, oh, we haven't talked about finances in six months and now we're in debt, right? It's more of just like the norm and the conversations will get easier and easier and easier rather than every six months we get into a huge blowout when we sit to do the finances. Yeah. Make it more of a common conversation. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like she's ending up with more work because of it. As I'm reading through it, as yeah. you guys are talking, I'm looking like because she's she's showing up to make dinner and like the food's gone. Now I have to or go to she, the store and get yeah. the ingredients I needed or change the whole meal plan entirely. Yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Mm-hmm. I didn't. You're not. You're. That's a that's a good observation. Um, the food and I, I know some people like plan out. I do not. I doubt a lot. <laughs> but some people plan out their meals every day of the week. And right. Then, you know that can be really upsetting. That's a lot of extra work. If yeah, you come I, home, you're tired. Yep. I could I could see that because if you if she is the person doing the shopping and then she is doing the person the, she is the person doing the the meal planning then, and she says okay I'm gonna buy a steak for or they don't buy the meat but for an example like I'm gonna buy a steak for Monday and I'm gonna have broccoli with it as a side and then for Tuesday I'm gonna make grilled chicken or whatever and like on that night you go there and those ingredients aren't there it's like well I did all this work to, to make sure like we have our meals planned out and now I can't even do that I could I I could definitely see getting annoyed about that and what does the division of labor look like in the relationship yeah right like it's like what you're saying if she's doing the grocery shopping and the cook and doing it all and then he's not doing any of it and then kind of, like, messes up her plan. That's a lot on your shoulders to be the one doing it all. And then it feels like you're being disrespected. And it sounds like she's handling the finances, too. So on top, like you're yeah. saying, so on top yeah. of all of the cooking and whatever else she's doing, she's got this, like, financial burden. And she's holding that, that She's anxiety. holding everything. She's holding yeah. everything. <laughs> I think, and I wonder if, and I imagine the answer is probably, um, but I wonder, too, if if his response that she has listed here is not helping her view of things because he's kind of like, well, then increase the budget or like almost like it's not a big deal. So what? Which has to make, I imagine, her feel like her feelings are invalidated and her frustrations about it don't matter, even though. And he has actually no clue what that would mean to just buy more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the time that goes into planning and the money itself and going to the store and then cooking the meal. And there's a lot more than just there's a chicken cutlet in the fridge that I ate. Right. Um, okay. I do want to make sure uh, that we touch on, and I'm, for the first part, I think I'm, I'm going to look to you primarily, Lauren, but then I'll we'll get into both of you to, to get to respond, but what are the signs, and I know we haven't landed that this is definitively maybe an eating disorder and without further evaluation and knowing them, we, would, we couldn't say, but what are the signs for family members and friends to look out for if they're concerned or worried or if they notice things? Like what, what are things that could be tells that someone might be struggling with an eating disorder? Sure. And I'm going to speak more to the anorexia and bulimia domain. That's just sure. my yeah. specialization. <laughs> um, but hiding food, eating food in secret, eating food mm-hmm. rapidly. Um, with teens, it's, it's often a, it's something that goes unnoticed. So 
Um, sometimes kids will start wearing baggy clothes and the same for adults so that people don't notice the weight loss. Um, anytime kids are starting to, or adults are starting to skip meals, um, you know, restricting their calories, only eating certain food groups, going on like a very restrictive diet. There's a lot, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, <laughs> signs, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, as soon as you see those signs, you can reach out and get help for your loved one. Okay. For the, and just cause it's something that's specifically called here for the binge eating. And I know it's not maybe your specialties per se, but, um, would hiding food wrappers still be something that would be a hallmark of that as well? Because if someone's overeating and they don't want people to notice, they might try to hide the wrappers or, or hide the, the habit. Um, sure. Yeah. Any of these eating disorders can, there is a lot of secrecy about them. So, mm-hmm. um, eating in, you know, eating privately, um, hiding the, the amount you're eating, things like that. Okay. And then if say someone notices, you know, that a loved one is, is exhibiting some or several of those behaviors, how do you go about bringing it up and um, how can you help them and how how do you kind of start that conversation and then what are the, the next steps from there? Eating disorders are tough. They're considered something we call egocentric, meaning like the person who has the eating disorder isn't necessarily motivated to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, it, that's in part because society like really reinforces eating disorders and then this thin ideal Um So a lot of times, as opposed to maybe bringing up something like depression or anxiety to a loved one, bringing up an eating disorder can be a lot harder. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, and I and I always encourage the first point to be a medical point because that's eating disorders also have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. So you want to make sure that the person is medically stable. And if they're not, that can also be a way to sort of show these data points that this is why we really urgently need to get you some help. Almost like providing facts that say, like, this is what's happening to your health or this is where your health is at. Maybe not even what's happening to it. Like, here's where you are. Right. Um, And this puts you in a danger zone or it is leading you towards a danger zone where your health could be compromised or worse. Right. This is what's happening to your body because Mm -hmm. of it. Um, And so there's like lots of negative ramifications that can happen to your body. So, mm-hmm. And is that something that is an effective technique in kind of helping people um, maybe come to a point where they say, you know what, I do need help or I do want help? Because um, to your point, you said it's a disorder where people typically don't want to get better. It can be. Sometimes in adults, we actually have to have like, um, because the eating disorder really distorts the person's thinking and they're mm-hmm. not making clear or good judgments for themselves. We actually sometimes encourage like their loved ones to get guardianship for them so that they can, um, uh, they can make sure that treatment is available and being given. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we do try and work with them to motivate, to say like, look, you know, there are these things that are happening to your body and this may impact your ability to, to have a family one day or to have a family now, or, you know, like you might be losing your hair and, and things like this. And that mm-hmm. can be helpful, um, in encouraging, uh, treatment. Yeah. And then I guess from, a um, Less from a perspective of of trying to get your loved one help. How do you sort of internally deal with this 
the emotions that come up if your child, say, or your spouse is suffering from this? Because I'm sure it's a battle that they're fighting, but that also has consequences or, or a ripple effect and ramifications for the parent, the siblings, the spouse, the child. Um, I think them having a support system, whatever that looks like, whether it's therapy, whether it's their parents, friends, right, people that they can talk to maybe outside of the house because everybody that's in the family, in the household, that's like working with that child to help them, mm-hmm. they, they usually need like an outsource of this is what's going on. We all got in a big fight, like trying to sit down to dinner. And if you're talking to say your husband about it and you're the mother and they're frustrated, you're frustrated, you might not get what you need, mm-hmm. like that validation and making sure that you are supported in this because as much as you're not going through it physically, you're still going through an emotional roller coaster here and it's still mm-hmm. impacting you. You're still going through an eating disorder without having the eating disorder. Yeah. Okay. I think I think that's everything I have, but I'm wondering if you guys have kind of final thoughts, made, whether it's on this prompt or um, just what someone should know about eating disorders in general or kind of budgetary relationship enigmas in general. I think for this specific, her needs, she feels, aren't getting met. Yeah. And the way she's expressing it is by pointing at him. Mm-hmm. You're doing this thing, so then I'm not getting my needs met. What are the needs? Mm-hmm. These unconscious expectations we have sometimes for our partners, having that direct communication of, this is what I need, this is how it's affecting me, without talking about his eating habits. Yeah. Because they're two separate things here. And he may be more open to hearing if she's not saying, like, when it's gone, it's gone, right? Because he's yeah. going to get defensive. He's going to be like, okay, like, I don't know if I care what you need right now. Yeah. She needs to come from a place of, like, I need this because this is important to me. Yeah. Or I'm so stressed out that we're gonna going to have enough money for the mortgage this month because we continue to go to the food store. Yeah. That's not saying you overate. That's saying I'm really just having a moment where I'm really stressed. Yeah. Yeah. I guess from the eating disorder perspective, <laughs> it's it's um, it's get help if you need it and yeah. get access to medical care, get access to mental health care if you can. Um, employ those supporters around you if it's it's getting hard. It is a hard battle. Yeah. So don't give up. Okay. Well. Uh, we like to, every episode, do a, a TLDR, which if you're not familiar is too long, didn't read. Uh, a lot of Reddit posters include them when they have long posts like this one. Um, so a TLDR of our own, it sounds like, is know how to express what your needs are mm-hmm. so that you can actively talk to your partner in a relationship about why they might not being met, m- might not be being met. And then uh, if you're concerned about a loved one suffering from an eating disorder, or if you yourself are suffering from an eating disorder, it maybe seems like, um, you know, obviously get help, but maybe that medical in is the best and least defensive. And um, It's not your fault. It's not your family's exactly. fault. And exactly. You can get it's more help. like, let's get you healthy because yeah. I'm concerned about your health and, and less a point of shame and more mm-hmm. concern. Well, thank you both for coming in and and chatting with us, and uh, I'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Thank you.